0: Good morning. In today's headlines, new charges in former President Trump's documents case. Prosecutors allege he ordered Mar-a-Lago staff to delete security videos while under investigation. Hunter Biden admits receiving money from a company that is linked to the Chinese Communist Party. His statement appears to contradict the President Biden's claim that no one in the Biden family ever made any money from China. The National Defense Authorization Act passes in the Senate. Senate leaders say it's a sign that bipartisanship is alive and well in the upper chamber. We have the details. China is likely supporting Russia's war in Ukraine with military technology. A U.S. government report casts a spotlight on the new finding. And Meta has released documents showing collusion between Facebook and the White House in censorship efforts against Americans. We have the details. And a 93-year-old man is showing the world that age is truly just a state of mind after climbing a California mountain. Good morning, everyone. Today is finally Friday, July 28th, and we want to get right to it. Hunter Biden admitted during his failed plea deal hearing this week that he received over half a million dollars from a company linked to the Chinese Communist Party. His statement in court appears to contradict President Biden's earlier claim that no one in the Biden family made any money from China. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the admission.
1: According to a court transcript obtained by the Epoch Times, David Weiss, the U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware, read out an exhibit in court indicating that Hunter Biden earned around $660,000 from a Chinese infrastructure investment company. The presiding judge asked Hunter Biden which company it was, to which he answered CEFC. CEFC is a CCP-linked Chinese energy company, who was named in a recent IRS whistleblower's testimony as a company Hunter Biden allegedly demanded $10 million from through WhatsApp in return for services from the Biden family. A White House spokesperson has said the Oversight Committee's probe into the Biden family is a waste of time and accused Republicans of engaging in a politically motivated investigation. House Republicans continue to probe the Biden family's overseas business dealings, arguing that there are possible national security implications to payments from foreign nationals. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer told Senator Ted Cruz on his podcast, Verdict, that six U.S. banks submitted over 170 suspicious activity reports to the Treasury Department about the Biden family over concerns of large transactions and wire transfers allegedly received by the Bidens from foreign state-owned entities,
2: including the Chinese regime. If the Hunter Biden was doing something legitimate for China, they could have just wired the money to Hunter Biden, but they didn't. They law- They sent it to a company called Robinson Walker, then they wired it to a company called Owasco, then they wired it to a comp- another company called Bohe something or another, and then they start And monthly. do these companies do anything with it? Nothing. Or just, it's, it's just, it's just, a just like a bucket to pour yes. the water yes. in the port in another exactly place or somewhere it else. That's exactly what it is. And it was organized. This is like organized crime. The judge
1: in Hunter Biden's case gave both sides 30 days to file briefs addressing her concerns, leaving the fate of his legal troubles in limbo. The White House said Thursday that President Biden would not pardon his son to dismiss the charges. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: New charges against former President Trump. Prosecutors say he ordered employees at his Florida resort to delete security videos while under investigation for holding on to classified documents. Entities Daniel Monahan has more on the case, which also sees a second member of Trump's staff charged.
3: U.S. Special Counsel Jack Smith filed three new criminal counts against Trump, bringing the total to 40. He also charged a maintenance worker at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, Carlos de Oliveira, with conspiracy to obstruct justice. He is accused of helping Trump to hide documents. De Oliveira allegedly told another worker at the resort that the boss wanted security videos deleted after the Justice Department subpoenaed them. Prosecutors also charged De Oliveira with lying to the FBI during a voluntary interview. They say he falsely claimed no involvement in moving boxes of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, reportedly saying never saw nothing to agents. The charges were made public hours after Trump said his attorneys met with Justice Department officials. They are investigating the 2020 election with more charges possibly on the way in that case. Trump's campaign issued a statement. This is nothing more than a continued desperate and flailing attempt by the Biden crime family and their Department of Justice to harass President Trump and those around him. Representative Sheila Jackson discussed Trump's legal issues. The Congresswoman says there is no indictment without facts and prosecutors pressing their case. And I think uh, clearly uh, what should happen is, without comment, or intervention of any of us in the United States Congress, uh, the prosecutorial process should go forward. According to Jackson, only through the process can justice be rendered. Representative Jody Arrington believes Trump is being politically persecuted and will be vindicated. The Congressman says Americans aren't naive and are making their judgment on who they believe will fight and follow through on the policies that will save the country from socialism, from the radical leftist ideology that's permeated the entire government. While Representative Andy Biggs says efforts to impact the election and attack Donald Trump and his supporters would be laughable, if not so momentous. But it isn't laughable. It's, it's grossly serious, uh, the abuse of power that we're seeing. The charges have not hurt Trump's standing as the frontrunner in the race for the Republican nomination for the 2024 election. His lead over nearest rival Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has grown. A Reuters-Ipsos poll earlier this month showed Trump leading DeSantis by 28 percent. That's compared to a 15-point lead before the first indictment in New York in March. Trump is scheduled to go on trial in March 2024 in New York and May 2024 in Florida at which point the Republican nomination may already be decided. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: NTD reached out to the White House for a comment on the charge, but didn't hear back by broadcast time. We will update you if we learn something new. And new developments in the case against Trump. His lawyers want to be able to discuss classified information with him at his homes. However, prosecutors say that sensitive information should only be discussed inside a specially protected room. A third indictment against former President Trump may be on the way. Security barriers are up around Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta, implying a pending decision in charges against Trump. The case relates to the Trump campaign allegedly trying to influence the results of the 2020 election in Georgia. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis is leading the investigation. She previously said she would reach a decision on charges before the end of August. However, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani recently admitted to making false statements about two Georgia election workers. This admission could have accelerated the DA's decision. The Senate passed the National Defense Policy Bill yesterday evening. Entities Daniel Monahan has more on that and the coming showdown with a Republican led House.
1: The bill, as amended, is passed.
3: Senators voted to pass the bill 86 to 11, authorizing a top line budget figure of nearly $890 billion for fiscal year 2024. That's the total that was included in the debt ceiling deal worked out between the Biden administration and House Republicans. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer lauded the cooperation between lawmakers and what he called a fractured Congress.
4: The NDAA and the bipartisan process we went through to get here should be a glimmer of hope for the American people, a sign that bipartisanship is alive and well in the Senate.
3: Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell concurred with Schumer. Everybody on this side of the aisle feels exactly the same way. The House passed its own version of the bill known as the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, earlier this month. Now, Senate leaders can begin negotiations to find a compromise version that can pass both chambers, which would then be sent to the White House for President Joe Biden to sign or veto. But a floor fight may be looming over House amendments on abortion access and cross-sex procedures. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: The Senate is in a stalemate over promotions for hundreds of top U.S. military officials. At the center of the standoff is Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. The Republican is getting criticized by members of both parties, but he says he's not backing down. Tuberville is against the Pentagon's policy of reimbursing military service members and their families for travel to obtain abortions. The Senator argues the policy violates the Hyde Act, which bans federal funding for abortions. Congress is approaching its August recess, and there is a chance lawmakers will be out of Washington before resolving the issue. At a Senate vote yesterday, Senate, Senator Dianne Feinstein looked confused and needed prompting to vote several times from an aide. The 90-year-old senator didn't answer when it was her turn to vote for the defense bill. She then began reading a prepared statement instead Finally, an aide whispered something to her and she voted. Her spokesperson said she was preoccupied and didn't realize a vote was called. Feinstein is the oldest member in the Senate. Fellow senators have questioned her health since she had a bout of shingles last spring. Also this week, Senator Mitch McConnell froze at the podium for nearly 20 seconds. These incidents have put a sharp focus on older Senate members' ability to effectively serve. Feinstein will not be seeking re-election in 2024. And coming up, lawmakers investigating what went wrong during the Afghanistan withdrawal. Military officials testified before a House committee. And a congressional hearing on the science and impact of COVID-19 vaccine mandates. We talked to witnesses about their experiences. Good to have you back. The House Coronavirus Pandemic Subcommittee set out to scrutinize the harmful consequences of COVID vaccine mandates at a hearing yesterday. The committee is looking to make improved policy recommendations in the case of future pandemics. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the hearing and the testimony from witnesses.
1: Americans don't do well when we simply say, because I said so. The hearing was called Because I Said So, examining the science and impact of COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Because they did not stop transmissions. This was a choice that should have been made between each person and their doctor. To me, one of the most tragic consequences of these mandates is the distrust that it sowed in vaccines more broadly. Four witnesses testified at the hearing. There's no doubt in my mind that these mandate policies are going to be responsible for the increase in distrust the next time there's a pandemic and the mobilization of resistance to a future vaccine. Alison Williams lost her job as a sports commentator at ESPN for refusing the COVID vaccine. That was at the advice of her doctor while undergoing fertility treatment. She says the experience was emotionally trying
0: that was obviously a difficult process Uh, there was a large financial toll as well Uh, a lot of money that was that was um, taken away from me and from my family and a lot of decisions that had to be made because of that Um, I lost my health insurance I was I was painted in a specific way across many platforms for my decision. Assumptions made about political beliefs and different ideologies—that uh, was—that was difficult, and it was not a fun time. It was a—it was a dark and a trying time. But I'm thankful because I had a lot of love and support that carried me through.
1: Danielle Runyon, an officer in the Air Force Reserve, testified she's witnessed service members being discriminated against for refusing to get vaccinated. She says the effects of vaccine mandates linger on. Yes,
5: the harms are still ongoing. Uh, to say the least, the individuals who suffered these coercive and discriminatory practices, um, they, they are one to three years behind their peers. Uh, and frankly, they were just removed from their duties. So if you don't have good performance reports, you're very likely not going to promote. So potentially their careers could end in, in a, a few years.
1: Congressman Rich McCormick, a Republican member of the committee, told NTD he doesn't want the government telling private businesses who to hire or fire based on any status.
3: That's what communist countries do when they say, I'm going to decide for you what you should think. That's not American.
1: You can watch the full hearing online at NTD.com. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Two years after the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, lawmakers are investigating what went wrong. Military officials testified yesterday before a House committee. Entities Aryan Pastar has highlights from the hearing.
6: Our hasty
2: actions set the conditions for the Afghan government's collapse, the Taliban's slingshot to power, and the loss of 20 years of hope and progress in the Afghan people.
6: On Thursday, a House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee held a hearing titled A Failure to Plan, examining the Biden administration's preparation for the Afghanistan withdrawal. A retired Army colonel says most didn't approve of Biden's withdrawal when the U.S. left Afghanistan in August of 2021. There is very little intel- evidence to suggest that the Biden administration's plan would work and a mountain
2: range of evidence to suggest the plan would fail. General Milley, General Miller, and General McKenzie all recommended not withdrawing until the
6: Doha agreement conditions were met. The Doha agreement was brokered between the U.S. and the Taliban under the Trump administration. According to the Democrat ranking member, that's exactly when things in Afghanistan started to crumble. He says that's because after the agreement, Trump brought the numbers of troops down to only around 1,000, leaving them vulnerable to attacks from the Taliban. My, My point here, is there was a
7: really, really hard decision that had to be made uh, that that, uh, President Biden made, uh, choosing from extremely difficult alternatives that would have uh, potentially caused more conflict and more combat operations through
6: 2021 into the present. A major question people had after the failed withdrawal was who to hold accountable. Some say it wasn't clear who was in charge of the operation. Another retired colonel explained why he thinks that was.
3: You've got these different bureaucratic silos, so it could be uh, DOD, state, aid, uh, the IC with their different silos, and there's nobody in charge of this
2: group on the ground.
6: He says the reason no one was in charge was because there was no formal plan for the withdrawal and departments acted on their own. Arian Pastar, NTD News.
0: Military recruiting shortages are creating some serious challenges for the Pentagon. Recruiters for all branches of the service for the service are now forced to draw from a shrinking pool of candidates. That's because the percentage of Americans ages 19 through 25 is at a 15-year low. Low unemployment and more job opportunities for young people also add to the problem. Some who might otherwise go into uniform are not only seeing more attractive alternatives, but also rising wages. According to the Pentagon, fewer than a quarter of Americans ages 17 to 24 even qualify for service. That's due to poor test scores, criminal records, and physical and mental fitness issues. And only 10% of possible candidates now say they would even consider military service. Coming up, China's quarterly economic growth fell short of expectations. What are the reasons behind the slowdown? And will America benefit from its fall? An expert weighed in. And China might be helping Russia's war in Ukraine with military technologies, as well as bypassing Western sanctions. That's according to a new U.S. intelligence report. We have the details after the break. Welcome back. What's the extent of the Chinese Communist Party's role in fentanyl trafficking? The Drug Enforcement Administration yesterday laid out how the CCP uses false packaging to ship fentanyl chemicals to two major cartels. Entities Melina Weiskopf has the details.
5: Bipartisan collaboration between Republicans and Democrats is a rare sight here on Capitol Hill, but it does happen in specific areas like how to address the fentanyl crisis, which right now is the leading cause of death for Americans ages 18 to 45.
3: Attacking the source of this, which is the Chinese chemical companies in China, but as well, we must deal with the hugeness of cartels and the persistence of cartels.
5: Three cases in which we charged four Chinese chemical companies, eight Chinese nationals, and we charged them for knowingly providing customers in the United States and Mexico with precursor chemicals and the scientific know-how to make fentanyl. The administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration testified that the Chinese Communist Party is engaging in deceitful measures, like false packaging to mail fentanyl precursors to Mexico, fueling two vast cartels, the Sinaloa Cartel and the Jalisco Cartel, which control the majority of the fentanyl global supply chain.
2: You know, border barriers, technology along the border, you have to stop uh, their financial incentives.
5: This crisis costing more than 100,000 lives per year on average. That's roughly 300 deaths every day. But if we're losing wartime numbers, being killed by the cartels and the CCP, I ask you, what is the definition of war? This deadly substance sourced in China goes to Mexico and then here to the U.S., where oftentimes social media platforms are the last step. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiscup, NTD News.
0: China's economic growth seems to be losing steam. The country's economy expanded 6.3% year-on-year in the second quarter. That figure came in short of market projections of more than 7%. Meanwhile, China's exports slumped more than 8% in June, with a youth jobless rate mounting to a record high of 21%. Losing consumer confidence and a downturn in the real estate sector are the main drivers. On top of these are Beijing's tighter political controls on business export bans from the West and fears of a possible invasion of Taiwan. The headwinds are pushing a global supply chain shift from the world factory. But at the same time, China's recovery remains key to countries across the ocean. China is currently the third largest export market for the U.S. after Canada and Mexico. The country is even more crucial to states along the west coast as it buys 24 percent of the products from Oregon and Washington. Joining me now is Antonio Graceffo, an economist and China analyst to shed some light on the situation. Good morning, Antonio. First, I want to know more about what's happening with the property market in China. It's been referred to as a ticking time bomb. So now can you please explain what that means exactly and how serious of a problem that is?
2: Yes. Good morning. Yeah. uh, China's uh, property bubble has been considered a bubble, a ticking time bomb for quite some time. And one of the reasons it's very, very heavily indebted, the Chinese real estate sector represents one of the largest debts that exists on the planet uh in china the property sector accounts for about 20 percent of the uh, gdp directly but up to 40 percent of the gdp indirectly when we take uh allied uh, industries related industries dependent industries so the idea has been that when this debt bubble you know grows through sufficient size if it were to pop that this could really take down the whole chinese economy
0: oh wow so um, Morgan Chase's estimate is that it's reached 282 percent of the country's annual output. Um, the, the debt, the hidden debt, of, of course, um, an estimate of the hidden debt. So some are worried that China may not be able to pay it back. Now, how do you think, how likely is that?
2: Um, I, I think it's quite likely that China cannot pay it back. Also, the 282 percent figure does not include the uh, provincial debt, so the provinces hold a lot of debt through these um, variable investment vehicles, uh, I'm sorry, through um, uh, local government funding vehicles, that that is estimated to run almost up to a trillion dollars. So there is other debt that um, that is not counted in that figure. So the debt problem is much greater than what it appears uh, it is extremely unlikely that China can repay this debt. Uh, Does that necessarily mean the whole thing will come crashing down? Not necessarily. But it is unlikely to get solved.
0: Mm, Interesting. Now, experts in the West, of course, are looking very closely at China's economy. So just how closely are our economies tied together? And how would we be affected here in the U.S. if anything should happen in China?
2: Well, the two economies are extremely closely connected. China is one of our largest trading partners. I know that the, uh, I've written quite a lot about the, um, the trade deficit that we have with China, and, and that is a talking point for a lot of uh, conservatives and politicians, however, uh, we also export quite a lot to China. It's one of our largest uh, export markets. And if that market dries up, that will take away a lot of jobs in the United States.
0: Hmm. So bottom line here in your eyes, how is it looking right now? What will happen?
2: Well, the Chinese economy is slowing. It's getting much worse. This year, uh, yeah, everything is trending downward. We have uh, manufacturing output is down, uh, factory uh, activity is down, youth employment is up, uh, youth unemployment is up. So We have a lot of economic problems in China. We have a general slowdown in the world. So uh, I will see that – I would assume that our um, exports to China will be decreasing. Plus, we have the trade war going on. We have the restrictions against uh, – Chinese trade, Chinese imports, the chip ban, all these things will gradually reduce the total volume of trade between the United States and China. Mm.
0: Thank you so much for coming on and for your analysis today. Antonio Graceffo, I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, is Beijing supplying Russia's war in Ukraine? A U.S. intelligence report is unveiling new evidence and how China is helping the Kremlin evade Western sanctions. Let's zoom in.
1: According to the latest report from the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence, China is providing some dual-use technology that Russia's military uses to continue the war in Ukraine. That's despite international sanctions and export controls. These technologies include navigation equipment, jamming technology, and fighter jet parts. As of March, over $12 million in drones and drone parts went from China to Russia. Citing customs data, the report finds the major players to be China's state-owned defense companies and their sanctioned Russian counterparts. Meanwhile, the report says Kiev has also spotted more Chinese components and weapons used by Russia. Beijing has long denied supplying any military aid to Russia, but the two nations uphold a no-limits partnership throughout the war. According to the report, Beijing has become the top buyer of Russian crude oil since the start of Western sanctions. That, along with expanded purchases of Russian natural gas and other energy exports. Total bilateral trade hit a record high in 2022. BEIJING ALSO ALLEGEDLY USED ITS FINANCIAL SYSTEM TO ALLOW RUSSIA TO CONDUCT TRANSACTIONS UNFETTERED OF WESTERN INTERDICTION. THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION HAS SOUNDED THE ALARM THAT COMMUNIST CHINA MIGHT BE OFFERING LETHAL AID TO RUSSIA. BUT OFFICIALS HAVE REPEATED THERE IS NO EVIDENCE OF LETHAL AID TRANSFERS FOR BATTLEFIELD USE.
0: AND NOW, SOME SHORT HEADLINES FROM AROUND THE WORLD. UK authorities are investigating after Defence Ministry emails were mistakenly sent to the African nation of Mali, a Russian ally. The messages were intended for US military intelligence, which uses the domain name .mil, while Mali uses the domain name .ml. Britain says the information was classified but not highly sensitive. The European Central Bank raised interest rates for the ninth straight time yesterday to combat inflation against a worsening economic backdrop. 3.75% is the highest level in over 20 years. uh, ECB President Christine Lagarde left the door open for more hikes. At least two people were killed after two light aircraft collided near Brisbane in Australia. That's according to local police. The planes were close to the ground when the accident happened. The two fatalities were from, were, were from one of the aircraft. The pilot of the other plane survived. A typhoon made landfall in southern China after sweeping past Taiwan and the Philippines where it killed dozens of people. The Philippines is racing against time to save the passengers of that ferry that capsized near Manila. At least 25 people were killed. The vessel overturned yesterday when passengers, alarmed by strong winds, rushed to one side of the boat. Coming up, Meta has released documents to the House Judiciary Committee detailing collusion between Facebook and the White House. The documents allegedly shows continued censorship efforts against Americans on the social media platform. And the CDC says red meat allergies are an emerging public health concern. That's after two studies found the phenomenon is on the rise. The allergies are linked to specific types of ticks. That story and more when we come back. Welcome back. Meta has released documents detailing alleged collusion between Facebook and the White House to the House Judiciary Committee. The documents release led to the committee indefinitely suspending efforts to advance contempt of Congress proceedings against Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Antides Costamines tells us more.
4: The documents were handed over to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan just hours before the panel was set to vote on the charges. The files dubbed the Facebook files showed efforts were made to censor Americans at the request of the Biden administration. The documents also implicate others, including the Office of the Surgeon General. The documents further showed that Facebook came under intense pressure in the first half of 2021 to remove content deemed to be anti-vaccine, thus preventing free and open discourse on issues of critical public importance. Another case shows that Facebook demoted the reach of a post by Tucker Carlson at the White House's request, despite the post not formally violating any rules. The documents also show Facebook scrambling to respond to mounting pressure from Mr. Biden and the White House in July 2021. That month, Biden accused Facebook of killing people by not censoring content the administration deemed to be misinformation. The following month, Facebook reportedly explored additional avenues to censor COVID and vaccine-related information that wasn't in line with the official narrative. After mounting pressure and continued criticism from the White House that the tactics were not aggressive enough, the company proceeded to more strongly demote vaccine information, which was rated partly false by fact-checkers, raising the demotion rate from 50 to 80%. Meta's compliance comes more than five months after the initial request by the committee in February. So far, Meta has reportedly only produced part of the documents requested. Congressman Jordan indicated that Meta and Mr. Zuckerberg could still face contempt proceedings for future non-compliance. Costamenes, NTD News.
0: NTD reached out to the White House for their response to the release of the Facebook files, but did not yet receive a reply. And in California, the impact of the Hollywood strikes has gotten so bad, now the governor is stepping in. His office says he has contacted all sides of the strike in an effort to keep the state's economy afloat.
8: According to Governor Gavin Newsom's office, he has contacted all sides of the strikes around Hollywood. He has offered to help broker a deal to restart an industry that is crucial to keeping the state's economy humming amid signs of weakness. So far, neither studio executives nor actors and writers have shown formal interest in bringing Newsom to the negotiating table. Anthony York, Newsom's senior advisor for communications, said it's clear that the sides are still far apart, but he is deeply concerned about the impact a prolonged strike can have on the regional and state economy. He further noted thousands of jobs depend directly or indirectly on Hollywood getting back to work, including crew, staff and catering. The last time the writers went on strike more than a decade ago, the 100-day work stoppage cost the state's economy an estimated $2 billion. The economic hit could be even bigger this time around now that actors have joined the picket lines. Newsom's relationships with some of Hollywood's most powerful executives could potentially help him in any negotiations over the strikes as he continues to advocate for the causes of the workers. Newsom also has a connection to Hollywood through his wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who used to be an actress and is now a documentary director.
0: A General Motors executive has warned the Biden administration about the cost of its proposed emission rules changes. GM executive David Strickland said that the entire auto industry could face $100 to $300 billion in penalties from 2027 to 2031. He said this would cost buyers as much as $4,300 per vehicle after the new rules start. GM and other major car makers want the EPA to soften emission requirements, calling them neither reasonable or achievable. However, the National Highway and Safety Administration said GM's estimation is pure speculation and inaccurate. And one agency official said the White House proposal would save consumers a combined $50 billion in fuel costs over a car's lifetime. According to studies by the CDC, allergies caused by red meat are on the rise and present an emerging public health concern. The agency says the allergy is caused by certain types of ticks in the North American continent, According to the CDC, the allergy is said to cause alpha-gal syndrome, or AGS. It's a serious and potentially life-threatening allergic reaction. Alpha-gal is a type of sugar found in most mammals. The syndrome is said to be caused by the Lone Star Tick, which can transfer alpha-gal into an individual's body. The tick can be found across the southeastern and eastern U.S., as well as Mexico and parts of Canada. The insect gets its name from the single spot on its back. The CDC says over 100,000 cases have been officially identified between 2010 and 2022, but the actual number of AGS cases may be higher. Diabetes is taking a toll on America, impacting not only the nation's health, but also the economy, causing around $330 billion in medical costs and lost wages millions of americans have diabetes and many of them may not even know it congress recently held a hearing on diabetes exploring how the disease can be defeated and it is colin frederickson has more
7: congress is trying to defeat diabetes the medical condition in which the body doesn't produce insulin or doesn't use it properly if left untreated the disease can result in blindness kidney failure heart disease stroke and the loss of toes feet or even entire legs.
3: The economic impacts of diabetes on our economy and our nation are really astounding. Um, more than 37 million Americans, about one in 10, have diabetes.
7: Senator Martin Heinrich said this hurts the American economy by lowering employment rates and straining the health care system. He suggested diabetes wasn't much of a problem in the U.S. until the 1970s.
3: What in the early 70s changed our food supply. It was calories, right? So when we started to value calories over quality nutrition, then we set this thing in motion.
7: Representative Drew Ferguson, as well as many other lawmakers, pointed to the growth of less healthy foods in the 1970s. This growth of unhealthy foods has correlated with the growth of obesity in America. Eighty-five percent of people who have diabetes um, are obese. Representative Gwen Moore said obesity is one of the leading causes of diabetes, along with unhealthy eating. Two very effective ways to cure and prevent diabetes are eating healthy and exercising. But this applies mainly to the most common type of diabetes, called type 2. For information on other types, as well as different treatments, experts suggest consulting with a medical professional. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: Bronny James, the son of NBA legend LeBron James, has been released from the hospital. That's after he suffered a sudden cardiac arrest during basketball practice on Monday. A doctor at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center said they're hopeful for James's continued progress, adding that he arrived at the hospital fully conscious, neurologically intact and stable. LeBron James tweeted about his son for the first time since the practice Practice incident yesterday, he thanked well wishers who've expressed support. LeBron James also wrote that the family is, quote, together, safe, and healthy, and we feel your love. 18-year-old Bronny James is an incoming freshman for the University of Southern California men's basketball team. Coming up, we take a look at a former school principal who gave up her career to homeschool her three children and is not regretting a second of it. Welcome back. Teaching children what's really important in life is investing in their future. That's what a former school principal from Oregon believes. So much so that she gave up her career to make sure her children learn what she thinks really matters. Let's take a look.
4: Mandy Davis used to work as a school principal in Oregon. But after becoming fed up with the schooling system, she decided to quit her job in 2022 and homeschool her three children.
9: It came down to um, having two very specific choices that I ultimately made. The first choice is knowing I didn't want my children in that classroom environment, in an environment where child-led learning is not the focus. And then that second choice is the active choice I wanted to make towards we choose homeschooling, and that is um you know, giving an academic advantage and um, the opportunity to place connection over curriculum, to place progress over perfection.
4: After dedicating most of her adult life to teaching, Mandy soon found that the red tape in her work prevented her from teaching what she was passionate about. This led her to take full control of her children's education.
9: You know, our school system was ultimately created at a time that for argument's sake, we could say it served its purpose, um, but it is really no longer serving that purpose. And you know, as a society, we're not seeing a change for our schools to catch up to where we are. Um, and so, the way that. Um, you know, I'm able to keep my children home and raise um, thinkers and leaders is giving them the freedom um, to chase their interests, um, to lead their education, to grow autonomous in their learning. Um, And I really work as their support in that process.
4: Mandy says the lack of teachers and child-led learning, as well as outdated curriculum and political agendas, are weighing heavy on schools combined with a lack of autonomy of learning and a rise of problematic student behavior. Mandy feels what is important for children is to have a love for learning and to deeply engage in that love. Her children are homeschooled from anything between 90 minutes to 4 hours daily on the family's 10-acre homestead. The rest of the day is led by what Mandy calls home culture. She has removed timetables in favor of routines, and more focus is placed on communal living and developing her children's unique strengths and interests.
9: I think that the most important thing is learning how to learn, um, learning how to become lifelong learners, um, learning just the process of, of growth and that progress. Um, and what's less important is, you know, having someone tell you what are the most important things to be learning um, or memorizing and instead being able to you know grow in your capabilities to not just comprehend but analyze and synthesize and evaluate
4: besides learning from books mandy's children emma clara and cruz spend time gardening baking doing crafts and taking care of the animals on their homestead Mandy says that her Christian faith plays a big role in her approach. She feels a beautiful part of homeschooling is to practice and grow in faith together, building a deeper connection which also allows her children to grow in their own faith. Mandy has appeared as a guest on two podcasts to advocate for homeschooling. She will also be attending the sold-out wild and free conference in Tennessee in the fall of 2023 as a speaker. Mandy says school choice is an important freedom and needs to become a regular and integral part of parenting.
0: They say age is just a number, which is something 93-year-old Everett Kalen proved yet again, climbing nearly 5,000 feet to the top of Yosemite Mountain's Half Dome. There is nothing like having family along for a special trip. So Kalen and his son and granddaughter tackle the challenge with him. The trio split up the trek into multiple days, putting it to rest in 13 hours overall. The retired professor trained for the feat Rocky Balboa style using stairs. Specifically, the stairs at the 17-story retirement home he lives in. But slaying challenges is nothing new for the spirited elderly adventurer. Just last year, he jumped out of an airplane for his birthday. Impressive and very exciting. And that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at NTD.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Have a great weekend. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.